0: Good morning. Good morning. I, sorry, I don't have a cool entrance or an exit. Um, just didn't bring, just didn't bring my bike, you know. Um, uh, but I can do a backflip. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like the quickest backflip, like in the whole world. Okay, you guys, hold on a second. Hold on, Jack. Seriously, I got this. Don't worry about it. Okay, it's really fast. It's really. You guys ready? You want to see it? You want to see it again? That's how fast it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Watch out, dad jokes all day. Hey, um, I had a water bottle right here. <laughs> no, was... I had one. Woo, Sh- there it is, Chad. Oh, yeah, a- man, I just tell you, it's really great to be here um, with you guys this morning, um, and let me say this with. Just uh, great hope and uh, great sincerity. Um, what you did this morning uh, is not very popular. Coming here is not, it's not trending. Um, you got out of bed. And uh, some of you, maybe it's like 20 minutes ago, but you know, that's not the point. You got up. You probably grabbed a bite to eat. Um, you maybe took the scriptures with you. And you, you walked to, to this place. At this time. And for what? To open up yourself and your heart to God. The living God. To humble yourself before him. To slow your life down enough. To hear from the God of all creation. A word that he has for you of hope for your life. And that word is perfectly spoken through the scriptures. It reflects back to us, without any distortion, the true reality of our hope of a new life found in him and in him alone. Reflects back to us without equivocation, with no ambiguity. Convinces us of God's infinite grace and justice Convicts us of our own self-righteousness before Him and of our desperate need for Jesus Christ. And I am so glad that you are here. And God is with us and He's with you. And He cannot wait to speak to you today, this morning. So let us bring ourselves As we are, with whatever it is that you came in here with this morning, bring ourselves to the overseer of our souls as the Apostle Peter calls him. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, you you tell us in your word in Isaiah 55, you say, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear to me and come to me here that your soul may live. And, Lord, in the best way that I know how right now, Lord, I come to you For my friends here. Lord, may they be open to the, the work that you want to do, not just today, but this year. Would they have a great sense of your, your rich, lavish love for them this morning? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Prayer, it seems, is uh, probably one of the most basic practices. Prayer is accessible. Uh, It doesn't require any special knowledge or power. And on the surface, uh, we can be like, you know, um, prayer. Man, prayer? (laughs) I know how to pray. Pray. We can think, man. Prayer is just elementary. They're like, oh, oh, I know how to pray. Now, give me some deeper stuff. Like, give me something that, like, uh, something that 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 that, I can, that is going to be challenging for me because I know how to pray. Give me some more meaty things. And yet, I think because prayer is so accessible, it seems so foundational. I think in our lives, it is it is most neglected except for like these exceptional individuals. And we can think, man, I, I know how to pray, and, and yet prayer gets neglected. And, and the beginning of every school year, uh, I like to start us out with a, a theological topic and, and approach this topic very systematically. And last year, we talked about heaven. We, we talked about, well, heaven, right? Where, well, where is it? Where do I go immediately upon death? What will, it, what will it be like? Will my dog be there? But what if I'm a cat lover? Is there any hope for me? And we took questions from you guys. You know, questions from the audience. Kurt, you remember this. You asked if, man, you're an Eagle Scout. Will you get to keep your Eagle Scout, Scout card? you remember that, Kurt? And I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Jake. Right? Will I be able to keep my manly, manly, man, man tattoos? Like, I don't know. I don't know what, you, what the resurrected body's gonna look like, Jake. Right? In heaven, will Jack be able to tell us what number's on the screen? <laughs> Jack, what number is on the screen? Yeah. False! Baby Bieber. There you go. That's right. <laughs> he didn't see it. <laughs> he didn't see it till now. And over the next five weeks, It'll catch up to you. Over the next five weeks, what I want to do is I want to begin to, to unpack and discover what the scriptures say about prayer. And, and I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I, I hope that this is going to be challenging. It's engaging and rewarding. You know, in the, in the gospel, both Matthew and Luke share an account where the disciples, they, they, they came to Jesus and they asked them this. They, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what has been recorded there has been passed down for two thousand years. When you pray, Jesus said, Say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other scenes like it, we're taught, we're taught how to pray. Um, but what is prayer? See, some will describe prayer as this dialogue, this conversation with God. See, prayer is when I come to God and communicate a verbal message to him. Maybe that's that's what prayer is. Jesus said, when you pray, say say this, our Father in heaven. And so, so prayer is this talking to God. Yes, definitely. That's part of it. But can it be distilled out even more? Are there any communication majors out here? Any communication majors? I'm not sure. That's great. I'm not sure what the experts say, Emily, right? But they say what? A majority of our communication is actually what? Nonverbal, right? Nonverbal. And I'll tell you, just about every candid picture of me out there, like in just me in everyday conversation, I just look intense. Like I'm reproving somebody. I just look, I look like it's my RBF. I cannot change the face. It just, it just is. So if you're in conversation with me, right, and I'm looking like this, I'm probably feeling just fine. I'm not pissed. <laughs> like, but it's just me, right? It, I can't help it. I try to smile more just to kind of soften it. But what if prayer, what if prayer is nonverbal? Can, can you pray without saying a word? Paul gives us insight here. As we distill down prayer, he gives us insight. In Romans 8.26, he says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here Paul is saying that we, we, need, we need something. We, we have a great need in our life, but we can't even formulate that in words. Our, our heart is just groaning. We groan in the deep the depth of our heart of hearts and what happens is that the Spirit meets you in your groanings and He intercedes for you what you are communicating non-verbally to the Father. So prayer doesn't have to be this verbal dialogue. So what is prayer? Prayer. Prayer seems to be some sort of intentional message that gets communicated to God. And that message can be verbal, nonverbal. It can be written in a journal. It can be sung in a gathering. It can be sung in a shower. It can simply be tears that flow from pain or sadness or, or tears that are just there for God to collect and put in his bottle. And, and often when we think about prayer, we we tend to think that prayer it goes this way. It goes from me to God. Like when I come before God, that my prayers, I'm praying, I'm communicating something to to God. And the line of communication, it runs this way. But, but what if it's not really... Just this way at all? What if prayer or the line of communication or when we distill prayer down, it is actually runs th- this way? What if prayer, what if the efficacy of prayer, the effect of prayer, the beginning and the end of prayer? What if the direction is mostly comes this way? You see, Jesus tells us in in Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. If anyone hears my voice and does what? Opens the door. Picture, uh, picture your best friend right now. You got it, like your, your your best your best friend your best buddy. Imagine that relationship that you have with them, existing through the barrier of a door. It's late, and they they, they text you something just went down like. Like, uh, you know, you broke up with a boyfriend or, or a girlfriend or something traumatic happens. And so you get this text and you rush over and you ring the doorbell and you're waiting. And they're, they're still texting you and you're texting back. And then you notice just this side of the door, just this side of the threshold, it's like your best friend is sitting right there. They're like, they're like standing, like you can see them. Like your foreheads are, are on the windows looking at one another. And you're like, hey... Open up. I want to be with you. Come on, let's talk. And and what you what you hear is we are talking. If anyone hears my voice, it opens the door. You see, what God is pursuing is an intimate relationship with you by which he enters into your life and begins to pull up a chair and have communion with you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if your friend was there and they open the door to you, they give you access to their home, to their life, to being with you. And so it's when you open the door, it. It's access. If prayer is this intentional communication, communicating a message to God, and the direction of prayer is more this way than than that way, then the opening of the door is acknowledging what most of us already know, that we have great needs in our lives and that we ourselves are helpless to meet them. And so the beginning of prayer, it seems to come down to this, giving Jesus access to our lives. And we open the door, so to speak, through a disposition, through a heart more than anything, more than any words that we might say. And it's through this humble acknowledgement of our own need that we give Jesus access to our life. And the power of God, listen, the power of God in your life, it does not rest on your strength. It does not rest on the eloquence of your prayers. It does not rest on how persuasive you can be. It it is not the depth of your emotional pleas to him that he listens. It is not a question of ability but one of humility. Giving Jesus access to your life is a question of the will. Will you give Jesus access to your needs? You see, when we give Christ access to our lives, listen, he wants to come in. He wants to come into your life. In fact, the whole picture that Jesus gives us is of a relationship. When he taught us to pray, he didn't say anything but Father, our Father, our Father. If anybody opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The picture there is of sharing a meal. He says this, in biblical language, the common meal is symbolic of intimate and joyous fellowship that affords a new glimpse into the nature of prayer, showing us that God has designed prayer as a means of intimate and joyous fellowship between God and humankind. And so prayer is a means for you to experience a filling, a a, a fellowship of God in your life. It begins with an act of the will, communicating, you know, just getting to that point where you open the door, you communicate your helplessness, you grant Jesus access to your life, and what he does is he pulls up a chair, and like a scene from Chronicles of Narnia, he says, tell me your sorrows. Talk to me. I want to be with you. But unless you give him access, there's no fellowship. There's no fellowship there. And he is an infinitely powerful God who rises, who gets up to show you compassion. And so the beginning of prayer is Jesus' invitation, his knocking the beginning of prayer is this way, and it, and it culminates in God filling your life because you are helpless. Because you are helpless. And, and this is the exact opposite in Eastern religions and philosophies. They speak of this kind of connection with God or gods or energy, you know, through meditation. It, it's an emptying. But the Judeo-Christian notion of prayer and meditation is not an, not an emptying, but rather a filling. And it's completely different. It, it, it is a purposeful, purposeful filling of God granting Him access. It is when you, when you communicate your helplessness to God, it is the beginning of communion with your Creator so that you might be with him and he might be with you and you might rest in, your bl- in his blessing. And so the beginning of prayer is, is a humility that, listen, it needs to admit your own helplessness before him. The intentional message that we convey to God, that we utter, it, not, it doesn't come from the lips, but it comes deep down in the soul. The message is simple. Father, I need you. I need you. And this is precisely what Jesus tells us to do. This is exactly what Jesus tells us. John 15, 5, he says, listen, I am the vine. Right? I'm the one who's in the ground. I'm planted All the nutrients, they come from me. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, cut off from me, not being in me, you can do nothing. Sometimes we read that when we think, well, apart from you, I can do some things. I can... Maybe I, maybe I can do, I can, maybe I can do many things. No, no, nothing, nothing. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, but Mike, I put my pants on this morning. That's a thing, isn't it? Right? Or maybe some of you out there are thinking, don't tell me what, to, what I can or can't do right? And to which I respond, you know, calm down, Morgan. Where's Morgan at? (laughs) Just calm down, okay? Nobody's telling you what to do. (laughs) Listen, that's not what Jesus is talking about. You can dress yourself. We hope. (laughs) What he means is, is this. This is what he means. You and I are dependent creatures. We all have a constant dependence on the grace of God for these two things. First, we have a constant dependence on God to bring about the fruit of the Spirit as described in Galatians 5. Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. One fruit, nine flavors. Okay? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We need to depend on Him to bring about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we grow and mature. But secondly... And we often miss this one. Secondly, we also have a necessary and constant dependence on God as creator and sustainer of everything in the natural life. So apart from Christ, we can do nothing that will be pleasing to him, nothing that will produce the fruit of the Spirit, and we need his common grace, his faithfulness to us, in every sunrise, every good and perfect gift, James 1.17 says, is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Listen, before God, each one of us before him, it, we're dust compared to him. And He looks at you and He sees His creation, who He says is, you are His masterpiece. He, but He knows who we are. When we stand before Him, He sees our true self. He sees our true frame. There's nothing that escape, about us that escapes Him. And before Him, God knows that we are inescapably needy or helpless. Some of you have had the privilege of being around uh, newborns, like babies, right? Holding them and swaddling them, you know, making that newborn baby voice, you know, when we talk to them, right? We all, well, you can't, you won't be able to help it. So for some reason, we just, the little baby, how's the little baby doing, Right? You know, you're around that newborn baby, and, and, you know, and you smell them. You think I'm weird. They have this smell. You won't admit it, but you've smelled a newborn baby's head before if you've been around a newborn baby. And they just have this smell about them. I don't know. It's like, it's almost like sweetened condensed milk, you know. Men, trust me. Should God bless you with children, you know, a child or two or a dozen, you're going to smell every one of them, Okay? You're gonna smell those babies, and they smell like a newborn, don't they? I know there's a couple moms in here, don't they? Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks, Lisa. Get <laughs> mm-hmm. But that newborn baby, they do nothing for you. All they do is wake up at one a.m. and four a.m. <laughs> but they contribute nothing to you, the household. They contribute nothing to the society. They're just, just babies. And when you become a parent, you, listen, you will know your child's cry. You're going to know it. In a room full of crying kids, you're going to be like, that's mine, right? You're going to hear all these kids crying, and it's going to just be white noise. And then all of a sudden you hear the cry of your kid. And you're like, who did what to my kid, right? That's sometimes me, you know. Right? I'm like, what's going on? I knew if it was my kid or not in a room full of kids crying. You know, and the tears are there, and they're just, you know, they're, they're just crying. You know, that infant cry, you know, it's kind of helpless and gasping, and they're like, eh. and, and, and they're, they're, they're telling us something. And you begin, as a parent, you morph into like detective mode. Because that baby cannot communicate one intelligent word to you, but we understand their plea. And the first instinctive thing you do is what? You pick up the child and you hold them. And if they're still crying, then you kind of do a little diaper check, right? Okay, that checks out. That's clean. You check the clothes to see if, is there anything tight? Did they get... Kids, they can do funny things with their clothes. Do they get twisted? they get a leg caught? You know, something causing dis- discomfort? Nope. Well, then it's just grab a bottle or hand off to mom. You know, it's the 24-7 food distribution center, right? <laughs> and either of those solves it, usually, right? Usually solves it. You see, when the cry of a child's helplessness hits the ears of a parent, a good parent rushes in to meet those needs. And when we open up the door of our heart in a cry of helplessness, our cry and appeal is not lost on the father heart of God. When we cry in our helplessness, it, that cry is not lost on the Father heart of God. And when he hears your call, he, God never thinks, You, Kurt, again? Again? That's five times today. Night and day, he never tires to meet your needs. God is infinitely inexhaustible in His power. That means that when God uses His power, He uses none of it up. And He delights to meet your needs. Because when He meets your needs and you are satisfied in Him, He is glorified in you. And that's exactly the way John Piper says it. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And in His infinite mercy, He is limitlessly dedicated to meeting your needs. And so prayer consists of this day-by-day expression. Maybe as you mature and you understand what prayer is and giving Jesus access, it becomes more of a maturing moment-by-moment expression of the heart that we are helpless and that we need Him. And this is exactly what Paul identifies for us in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 10. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. And what is this that he's talking about? He says, because he, in, in order for him not to become conceited, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. A, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, to, 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 to make him not be proud. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on, therefore I will boast all the more of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, Jesus says, is made perfect in weakness. Do you see what that means? You see, so many of us, we've, we've spent a lot of our life just trying to be good enough. Spent so much of our life just trying to make up for our own shortcomings. We've, we've just tried so hard just to kind of clean up our own lives to, you know, to get ready um, to make ourselves presentable to God. Because, because the way I am, God wouldn't love me. So we hide our brokenness. We hide our weakness. We think, man, if only I could start doing this one thing or stop doing these things, then God will accept me. And and we just mistakenly think that it's some measure of of works that we do, some measure of goodness that we bring to the table, that, that if you could show God what you're really capable of and you could do a couple things good, then he would accept you. And what you miss is you don't realize these two things. The first, this is the height of pride in your life. So you think that you could merit God's favor. That if you were good enough, then what? God would love you? Yes. But then God would owe it to you to love you. Sometimes in our own goodness, in our own, when we try to pull our lives together and make ourselves presentable to God, what we do is that our goodness, in our goodness, we put God in our debt. He has to love me. He has to forgive me because you deserve it. And what happens there is you mistakenly have mixed the language of grace, which is forgiveness, with the language of merit, living a good life. It's a false end. It's a dead end. It doesn't lead to anywhere. It will not heal you. It will not give you hope. Romans 5.8 says this, for while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Christ died for you see, while we were opposed to God, while we were still bargaining with him, while we were still kind of making ourselves presentable, indeed, while we were still hating God, he came to take away the penalty of your rebellion. <clears throat> Christ the Savior, he, he died for you, for me. See, God didn't wait. He didn't, you want to get yourself together? God didn't wait for you to get to yourself together. He didn't wait for you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He didn't wait for you while you still were opposed to him. He died for you in the midst of your greatest and most desperate needs. He stretched out his arms and he invited you to come to him so that you could live. And that's what the cross is all about. At the feet of the cross are those who have given up their ways and trusted, not in their self-righteousness, not in their own goodness, but in the righteousness of Jesus to justify and forgive us so that we can truly live. It is a cry of helplessness, of neediness. And, and this whole time as I'm kind of describing the prayers, giving access to your life to Jesus and that, and that you don't need... You don't need, there's nothing that you need to do to make yourself look good in his eyes, but just the, the cry, the heart that says, Jesus, I need you. If I'm describing you, perhaps the Spirit of God is, is just calling you to come to him and lay down your strength and admit your weakness so that you can pass from death to life, from darkness to light, from, from being lost to being found. And none of us need to go to God and pray in such a way so that God would be interested in us. You don't have to say any special words. The beginning of prayer is not like um, saying some special words the right way because that's more like an incantation. You don't don't have to. The beginning of prayer is not, you know, have you noticed in prayer that... You know, you're hanging out with your buddy and you guys are talking about this, that, and the other and all of a sudden it's like, you're heavenly father. We, you're like, what just happened? <laughs> like, right? You don't have to change your tone of voice for God to somehow hear you, hear the cry of your heart. You You must not even in prayer get yourself to some sort of spiritual destination. The beginning of prayer is not like first getting yourself right into a state of like holiness so that God will listen to you. There's no spiritual cartwheels or somersaults that you need to do that God would then take notice of you. There's no other form of pretense is necessary You see, because what Jesus wants to do in your prayer when you give access to his life is he wants to pull up a chair in the dining room of your life and commune with you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to experience the the fellowship of the most high God being with you who delights to meet your needs, who can't wait. Listen. Listen can't wait to do good to you. And so the heart of God is coming this way to us when we cry out to him. When we are weak, Paul said, then we are strong. And we know that we are accepted because of Christ. And since prayer is conveying, intentionally conveying this message, to God, in which God comes and communes with us, it is, it is less about words, and it begins with just something in the will, in the heart. In the beginning of prayer, it might be a sigh. It might be tears of distress, or sorrow. It might be tears of thankfulness. And it's receiving these words from Jesus that just land in your heart. My grace is sufficient for you for my power in your life is made perfect in your weakness because you're weak. Because we are weak, we need Jesus and we therefore give him access to our lives. And when we come to this point, when we come to this point of just letting prayer be this communion with God, And it becomes a place of rest for our soul. And we long for it. We look forward to it. We can't get enough of it. We can't get enough of it. And so this morning we have an opportunity to really respond and allow this to be the condition of our heart through communion and through song to him. You know, communion is just a really special time for a church. It's one of two ordinances that Jesus gave us. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I pass on to you what was given to me, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, take this, eat this, for this is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup and said, take this, drink this, this is the blood, my blood, the blood of an everlasting covenant. See, when when John the Baptist or baptizer, when he saw Jesus, he said this, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so communion is this this celebration pointing all the way, it goes all the way back to the exodus When the spotless lamb was slain and the blood was put over the doorframe, the angel of death would pass over because Hebrews 9 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus was inviting his friends to take and eat a new everlasting covenant. His body will be broken. He will destroy sin in our lives. He will destroy death by raising from the third day. And so We come and we take this tangible piece of bread that tastes good. And we acknowledge that Jesus, your body was broken for me. I need that. And here we just say, go ahead and dip it in the juice that stands, symbolizes his blood, his blood that was poured out for you to make an everlasting covenant with you, that he will never leave or forsake you, that just as he was raised from the dead on the last day, when he comes to judge the living and the dead, you too will be raised to life. But if you don't believe that, and you're wrestling with that here, and you've never come to a place where you say, Jesus, you paid it all for me. There's nothing more that I need to do. You've never come to that place of giving Jesus access to your life that by faith you've trusted in him. Then This is what this is all about. You don't, you don't have to pretend. You don't have to be a part of the group. You just have to know that this isn't for you. And, and in Cornerstone we, we practice open communion which is if you are a follower of Jesus who has placed trust in him. You're welcome to come and take communion with all of us here. And we will do that during worship. So at any point during worship, you want to get up and you want to tell God, give him access to your helplessness, your weakness, that he might be strong in your life, thanking him for the cross. I want you to do that. But if that doesn't describe you, then just sit back. Just think about the words that I'm sharing. Come talk to me. And if you need prayer, the staff and corner leaders will be on the sides here. We'd love to pray for you as we enter into the next several weeks of continuing to look at what prayer is that we might build a beautiful prayer life with God. Would you guys stand with me as we enter into a time of worship and I pray. so good to us God we just thank you God that you desire to come and and be with me be be with us and Lord you're here now and you hear our hearts cry so Lord we bring our heart to you God we ask you that you would be with us you change us God that we would experience your love Lord, my unending prayer is that all who are standing here with me, they would not miss out. They would be present when you come in the fullness of your kingdom again to judge the living and the dead. In Christ's name we praise. Amen.